Hey folks, jump to about 52.30 to get right to the Batman and Robin discussion. Thanks. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. Wasn't there supposed to be someone else here? Uh, I'm Morgan Runis. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Bad movie. Pow. Excruciating. Contrived plotting. Not a good way to end. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Man. All right. Um, All right. Hey, Wait. how you doing, Morgan? Doing. Oh, I'm doing great, guys. <laughs> He's Mr. Bill. <laughs> oh, we're going to kill him so many times throughout this episode. It's going to be great. Assuming he doesn't actually die uh, by tornado. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why are you talking about him in the third person? You can just talk to him right now. Why don't you say hi to our guest, Morgan? Hey, Morgan. I know you're cowering underneath what I assume is uh, a cellar. Outside of uh, from Wizard of Oz, so I know you can't speak right now, or you might uh, anger the tornado and have mm-hmm. it come. The, people don't know this about tornadoes, but their vision is based on movement. <laughs> uh, so, so Morgan's here. He is with us. At some point, once the the twister has moved safely away from uh, his basement he's gonna start talking uh but we're gonna we're gonna chime in with things that we think morgan would say throughout the episode until he's able to use his own voice morgan if what we're saying does not match your personal opinions just shake your head no at us and if you're like yeah keep going with this point this is exactly something i would say just not uh so anyways yeah so morgan will he he is here with us he will start talking more any second we don't know when uh because we can't see the tornado but peter we're here wrapping up our burton batman month with the only movie of the three that had no burton involvement and um it shows i think (laughs) i think so so where we love to watch, we're a theme movie podcast. We do. We pick four movies and we talk about them. And sometimes we end on a high note. And sometimes in the month we end on a low note. We've ended on a, a little bit of a low note here. I, I feel a little bad. Usually going chronologically means we're ending on a low note, I think. Because oh. stuff tends to get shittier over time, right? I mean, it's true. Because right now, 2018 is the worst year I can remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know what? You got me there. I've been petered. I really liked 1991, the year I was born, because I have no memory of it. Uh, and thus, oh, it was no, a great year uh, for me, too, because I didn't know you. <laughs> I have no memory of you either. So, yeah, so this is just... So I, here's, I, I feel like I want to do a mea culpa before we get into our little segment. Um, because, uh, can you do a mea culpa with an accent? Oh, yeah. Right, we're going to do a little mea culpa for you folks. <laughs> <laughs> my Australian like you didn't go any Latin language. You just went for nice. Oh yeah, you know. Can you demonstrate a Latin uh, accent for me, Peter? Mea culpa. <laughs> it's good. Now we have uh, we have shades of our Italian accent. There's like classical Italian, New Yorker mm. Italian. Uh, it's fun that we can be offensive to a lot of different subgroups of Italians. <laughs> broad swath of yeah. every intersection that of Italians. That was our problem. Yes. We were painting with a broad brush with our offensive accent. <laughs> we needed to paint with five broad brushes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so this, I, a little bit of a mea culpa though from us, and I feel bad because I actually know a lot of people 
hold this movie in some regard. Some people like it as a like legitimate, bizarre, brightly colored studio movie that is very unique. Some people like it as a bad movie. It's one of those fun, like, Manos to Hands of Fate thing uh, for them. And this entire month, Peter and I have kind of been saying, we're not a bad movie podcast. We don't want to just kind of take these movies as the Schumacher Batmans, as, you know, something to just go, this sucks so bad. Um and I think we found some interesting angles to talk about Batman Forever, even if it wasn't my favorite movie. It definitely did live up to uh, what I thought about it uh, when I was 12. And I was hoping that we would maybe find some some of that spark that some of these crazy kids see in this old Batman Robin movie. I didn't. I was really hoping that this would be Joel Schumacher getting to finally make a movie that wasn't just clinging to the past, that he was finally going to get to make his big flamboyant Batman movie that was his own vision. Because we talked about last week, the problem with Batman Forever is a lack of vision. Um, it seems seems to be uh, just a, a, a pale imitation of the previous movie with a few new ideas and, and a new sense of energy, but it's, it's, it's not really like what... It's not really like its own thing. No. This I, also is not its own thing. It's not its own whatever thing. whatever it is, is bad. <laughs> it's very bad. And it's weird because Batman Forever I actually enjoyed more because for whatever vision you can put on it, it had Tommy Lee Jones playing a very interesting Tommy Lee Jones character that he never really plays. And also had like a a very clear and consistent through line of like a story from from a plotting perspective batman forever is like light years ahead of batman robin because it is about you know the riddler who has a crazy invention and feels jilted uh jilted lover jilted professionally by batman and kind of uses his success and then his villainy to kind of throw it in batman's face and that's like the through line of the movie it's not well done <laughs> in some cases it's downright offensive but it is a clear plot from point a to point b this one has Mr. Freeze like my wife because uh, Mr. Schwarzenegger famously uh, started the Borat voice. <laughs> and then literally from scene to scene is like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to freeze you, you stupid idiots. Like his his like inconsistency of tone and how like little any part of the plot is 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 tough for this movie. It's tough for it to overcome. Um even, as even an enjoyable watch because it just is so boring because it's just such a bunch of interconnected scenes and and even the the simple through line that they should have uh, had in this which is Mister Freeze wants to save his wife and is truly like a um, not an antihero but a um, this is the problem with no sleep Peter the Beastie Boys had no sleep. Till Brooklyn. And they wrote a great song about getting to Brooklyn. I haven't been there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm I think halfway it was there. called Insomnia Ride to Brooklyn. It's called Paul Revere. Because that's how they got to Brooklyn. I met a little horsey named Paul Revere. He took me to Brooklyn because my route is clear. <laughs> so when you were talking about Batman and Robin, oh, what were you saying? Oh, love um, But he's a, he's a reluctant villain. Like he's taken to – the easy through line of this would have been he's a reluctant villain who's taken to villainy because of, you know, normal Batman stuff. Tragic, tragic circumstances that broke his brain a little and he's reacted to that by – uh, turning to villainy and trying to accomplish a goal. And that wife stuff is like, I feel like second fiddle is an insult to the second fiddle. I think it's at least, you know, I know orchestras pretty well, but the last fiddle, which is the ninth fiddle. 
It's it's like a third act MacGuffin. Like she becomes she becomes less than a fridged woman. She's literally an object to show you how much this movie runs fleeing away from any humanity, any sense of drama. Because um, that's my central problem with the movie. I think that's what ties the whole movie together into this big ball of shit. Is that it like <laughs> runs... Oh, man, that's a visual image I hope that our yeah. audience is really letting sink in. Just a bunch of tied up shit. <laughs> so you know you're making a meatball and you need some sort of like binding agent? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, um, you use like a panko or you might even use an egg or some sort of, you know, binding agent to keep it all together. Yeah. The binding agent in this movie uh, is an in- <laughs> is fear of any actual human emotion. That's a stinky meatball. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and my, my kind of thesis on this movie is that any 20 minutes would be fun to watch as like a weird candy color version of Batman. Spread out past 20 minutes and actually paying attention to, like, a plot and what's happening. And over the course of two hours and four minutes, it is excruciating. But it is interminable, dude. Really I had such a hard time getting through this. And I love silly, campy movies. I know. And I-, I know. But I think it's because – and I want to get into this in the movie proper. I think I, – I have a reason why. This does not work for me as even a bad movie. Um, I have a lot of – I just really dislike this movie and I don't even get the campy enjoyment out of it. But we're going to get into that. Uh, so, apologies in advance. Uh, once Morgan um, gets out of that tornado bunker, maybe he will have a different opinion. We actually don't know Morgan's opinion. But first, um, I saw this movie in theaters in 1997. I also did. You did. So – I'm interested in your thoughts at that moment. I was 14, which seems like now that I think about it, it feels like I should have immediately recognized that it was a bad movie. But at 14 and the fact that I did not consume all that much media, like watching movies in general was a big thing. Like at most we got to do it once a week, maybe once every two weeks. And going to theaters was a big thing because there was such a limited amount of stuff and at any given time that – um, that we could go see. And so there were movies that were like not for me, but I didn't have much of a critical mind. It was like, if this has things I like, it means I like it. And so this was, but this was really one of the first movies I can think of. It's not even like disappointment. It was, I call it almost like movie Stockholm syndrome, where so much of what you're seeing, you're supposed to like that, especially at a young age, um, and sometimes even a little bit older, you leave a movie and go, huh, I didn't get that fun sensation I get from movies <laughs> that I normally do when I'm watching something I like, but I definitely liked it because it's a Batman movie. And, you know, then I would buy it on video or rent it when it comes out, convinced I liked it, watch it again. And there's like a few of those movies that it wasn't until many years later that I realized – not that I didn't like it anymore, like I'd grown out of this, but kind of, oh, I never liked this. And the thing that I was having trouble expressing or coming to grips with at the age or at the time that I saw it was that something I loved had hurt me in a weird way. And I just I just ignored it. I just walked out and goes, yep, didn't enjoy any of that. It's one of my favorite movies. Please don't don't track my heartbeat or whatever during – or my dick beat during the course of the movie. Um so this was one of those for me. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of talk about a few of those movies that uh, kind of a top five and unordered top five of movies that that we we felt the same way about that that we were that we were Stockholm syndromed by. Um, now 
I like in in many occasions I didn't really outline this very well to Peter and Morgan um because after 105 episodes I like to just say things and see what happens. It's never worked for us yet, but you know the old saying, Peter, the definition of sanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I, my friends, am super sane. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I when I saw this movie, I was a uh, I was a little I was a little tyke. I was six years old, um, and similar to another movie from a few years later, uh, *Phantom Menace*. I was actually like a fan of this movie and *Phantom Menace* for a few years, and I think like enough older people telling me they were bad made me think they were bad for a bunch of years. So this was like an exciting rewatch for me. So you hadn't seen it since you were in theaters in 1997? No. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was like, and it was something that I like remembered liking as a kid. Like I remember leaving the theater and being very excited by it. Okay. Uh, and and then like over the years, the, the pressure of all these older kids saying it was bad was like, or older kids weren't just saying it bad. Older kids were saying it was gay. Um, which they meant both that it was uh, full of boot dudes' butts and nipple suits and, and all this sort of, like, very flamboyant stuff. And huh. also they just meant it was bad because they were um, idiot children. Uh, stupid, uh, offensive, homophobic children. <laughs> so the whole, like, coded gay parts of this movie that I definitely think are intentional are kind of one of the better parts of the movie, actually. Yes, I agree. The Batman and Robin relationship is is a lot of fun and like the only real comfortable human interaction in the movie period. But I don't remember any of my friends ever like recognizing that. And maybe because we were a little too grow up in North Dakota. But I just remember people thinking it was the bad one. Um, so it's interesting that and, – and so you your relationship with it though is a little more – not Stockholm Syndrome, not like convincing yourself that you liked a movie that you weren't enjoying as you're watching a movie you're not enjoying. Yours was a little more, I'm a dumb kid and I like things that are bad. Which yeah, is a exactly. whole different category, but a real one, yeah. So this movie doesn't quite fit into our category for the for the show for me today, but it's, it's a great way to talk about this. That yeah. like the, the concept behind it sounds great. Um, let's take some of the wind out of the, the sails of the darker Frank Miller inspired Batman and let's do something lighter, more candy colored. Like w when a character or villain enters a mo the movie, they seem to change the entire color palette of the scene. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Like the, the movie changes from light neon, dark neon, <laughs> middle neon. Like all that's that sort of flamboyance and, and it, the fact that it's like made by a gay filmmaker who uh, there's there's a lot of like um homoeroticism that can be read into the movie but like ultimately i don't think i think that stuff's kind of overblown i'd like i'd like to weigh in that as like a whole thing later but yeah all that, we'll that, that, that sort of idea behind the movie seems like something that i would be super into the the this sort of subversive and yet also return to the past kind of batman is it's it sounds really awesome and it's uh really terrible and unwatchable <laughs> and i was i was hurt by it because i was like i wanted to love this campy mess so much but it's not fun well and i hadn't watched it since so i'd seen it a few times as a kid and then 
stopped watching it and was like, oh, yeah, that's one I didn't really like. And then when I bought the Blu-ray set a few years ago, I watched the Joel Schumacher commentary, which is literally a two hour long apology. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's, it it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a very, yeah, it's a very good commentary track where he kind of walks through why all these decisions were made. He takes a lot of the blame himself. He says, this is, you know, that, that basically I didn't push back when I should have pushed back. And then here's what I wanted to do. And here's what I like about Batman. Um, and it kind of, you know, it's 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 a very honest commentary track. Um, we said last episode that Joel Schumacher seems like a lovely person. Uh, I still like he. That's a great commentary track to kind of explain not just not just what went into these decisions, but the way he feels about them in retrospect. But it does speak to the relative, and some we're going to get into later. Like the reason I have a big problem with this movie is that it's just a deeply cynical movie about who gives a shit. Just give this to the kids so we can sell stuff. Um, but, but it also, I, you know, I was coming off of Batman forever, which when I saw that, that was my favorite Batman. I thought it beat the other two. That's dumb kid opinion stuff. And so I was like, nowhere to go, but up, they're doing a similar thing. We get more Robin, we're getting Batgirl, we're getting Mr. Freeze, you know, all these great things. And so I, it kind of tells me a little bit about how big my carry fandom again was in 1995, that when you remove the thing that I loved about Batman forever, how like everything kind of came apart. Uh, loved in 1995, <laughs> but because um, there just was nothing there that I was attaching to and looking back on my memories from 1995. I mean, the reason I love Batman Forever wasn't because of Val Kilmer. <laughs> it was because Jim Carrey was saying hilarious one-liners like they were going out of style. So anyways, let's go through our lists. Um, I kind of started. So my first one was Batman Forever. It's one of the first movies that I remember going, really having that 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 realization at some point that how could something I love this much be bad? It must be me that's the problem. And so I'm just going to say I liked it and watch it a couple more times uh, because I must have liked it because I love Batman. Um, and it wasn't until later that I really kind of figured out, oh, here's all the reasons I don't like it. I'm sure we're going to talk about them a lot tonight. But Batman and Robin is really one of the first ones that I can remember just being like, oh, it made sense that I didn't like X film because that film wasn't for me. But this was for me and I didn't seem to enjoy it. Hmm. So what, what's your what's your first one? Morgan will be joining us in a little bit. Um, no, so he's here. Um, he's nodding. He'll be joining us more verbally later uh but i wanted to kick it off with uh an entry that him and i have in common on our lists uh and that is boyhood richard linklater's movie and this is probably very controversial because i think people love this movie in a way that runs deep yeah but um boyhood was a movie that genuinely baffled me how much i disliked it um i found actors that I think are really talented, really irritating in the movie. It's by hmm. Richard Linklater, who I really, I really love Richard Linklater. Um, and I, I, I've only disliked like two of his movies. Um, and this is one of them. And, and it was a movie that seemingly made for me. This it's a, it's, it's a because weird, you're a boy. ambitious experiment. You I am hoods. a boy. <laughs> um, it's all there. It's all there in the title. Yeah, it's about this boy who grows up and he's 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 kind of figuring the out hood. the world through his experiences. It's a, a big ambitious project, but the ambition created all of these problems with it that wouldn't exist if they had just made a traditional movie with three different actors for as the boy 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, if we want to lose our listeners, we can talk about Boyhood because I have problems with it too. It is interesting though that you say that about Boyhood because I can almost speak to your Stockholm syndrome because I remember one of our first discussions were getting into how we were in the Boyhood was fine, but I don't understand why people think it's the greatest movie. But you, at the time, you were kind of saying, "Look, it's a four star movie. It's not the best movie of the decade so far, or whatever else." And it's interesting now, a couple years later. That you're saying you don't like it because that does seem like the 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 that does seem like exactly what that Stockholm syndrome is like. Everyone loves this. I can't hate it or I should like it. But it's interesting that I've seen you go from four star movie to I dislike this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of afraid to come out against it at first, just because so many people loved it. I didn't want to shit on anyone's parade. And in, in... you're you're moving past rain on people's parade, yeah. which is the yeah, same. I didn't want a diary on anyone's <laughs> no. parade. Um, That's how bad it was going to be. Because it was such a sacred movie. Because it hit people on such a deep level. Uh, a lot of people I know that like had um, grew up with a single mother in particular identified a lot with with the char- with the characters in the movie. Um, and I. <laughs> I just, I just, I think I was trying to be nice to it at first, but the deep disappointment that the movie makes me feel is so much so that like whenever anybody brings it up, I get like kind of like a wave of of, of annoyance. Like <laughs> whenever anybody brings it up, I'm like, oh, it could have been something. So it's so interesting because I need to change something then because I, I, I call something boyhood syndrome, which I thought we were on the same page on. We're not. You need a new movie. But I call Boyhood Syndrome a movie that everyone loves and you think is a three and a half, four star movie. So you like the movie, but every time you end up in conversations about it, you end up talking negatively about it because <laughs> in comparison to everyone else's opinion, you are the opposite of that. Or not the opposite, but you're just below that. So you you start to feel like you dislike a movie more than you do because every time everyone's like, best movie I've ever seen, I'm like, well, don't you think that this should have been different? Because that's really the only thing you have to add to the conversation because everyone's saying the stuff you like over and over and over and over again. And so you end up talking more. It's, it's that thing where you sort of end up talking more shit about movies you like than movies you dislike. <laughs> Because, yes. because you are like – it just depends on where the cultural conversation's at. So for a movie like Boyhood that everyone loves, uh, I feel like every year there's some movie where I'm like uh, – I, I felt that way about Silence where I was – you know, a movie I really liked. I know it was one of your favorite movies, but uh, I, I tend to – I tended to talk more negatively about it because everyone thought it was like Scorsese's best film in 10 years and I had some problems with it. So even though, again, I, I feel like I need to keep reminding people during the conversation, no, I love this movie. I, like, it's a really good movie. I just have the following complaints that you don't have and that's what I want to discuss. Anyway. It's it's hard to not sound like an asshole when people are bringing <laughs> such passion to the table. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I get this means a lot to you. I have the I'm sure you're notes. not an asshole. I wanted to love this thing so much, and I love Richard Linklater. So, so that's that's my, my that is my first one, Boyhood. My next one is very similar to Batman Robin for for why I convinced myself I like it. It was just something Hatman and Bobbin. Oh yeah, well Hatman and Bobbin. You know that was that was more affected by the writer strike of 1987. <laughs> um, it was actually supposed to be called That Man and. Joe Bobbins, um, <laughs> and then the they they had a typo, and then the writer strike mm-hmm. strike happened, and they're like, "Fuck, <laughs> we we got to film it with this title because if literally if we change the title, 
we're going to get kicked out of the writers guild so that that's the way that's the way the cookie crumbles that's the story of Batman and Bobbin that's my all they wrote b- pretty big disappointment in my life uh, <laughs> the rest of the movie was unchanged uh, <laughs> just the title was affected um, no it, but a movie but like a a property i loved like loved and obsessed over and was so excited for uh it's it's Godzilla 1998 like the American remake, I love Godzilla. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was so obsessed, and um, and I remember like so our biggest theater in town was eight screens in 1998, and it was a big deal that six of the eight screens were going to show Godzilla. It was like the biggest. Re- I didn't know about like theater count at the time, but um, you know, it had that size matters campaign, and they like tried to book it in the most movie theaters a movie had ever been booked in. Which I think they did, at least in 1998. And just had these, like, amazing trailers that didn't reveal what it looked like. And so, I could not have been more amped up for the movie. And again, like, sitting through this wet, long, terrible fart of a movie. Of something that you love. And just being like, I love it. Everything that's happening is good. Yeah, this is a little bit like Jurassic Park. No, shut up, voice. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) You're going to buy this right when it comes out on VHS. Um, You're never going to stop singing the wallflowers version of heroes we can be <laughs> heroes oh, just God. one day uh yeah and you're never it's gonna bad. stop listening to that green day song that all they did was add uh godzilla screaming <laughs> noises over it oh yeah oh yeah damn uh, it damn on it. my own damn here we go yeah the godzilla remix of brain stew or whatever yeah oh good time and then also had the uh the P- uh, puff daddy led zeppelin song where he's yeah, like uh-huh. rapping over yeah. cashmere yes it's uh <laughs> guys 1998 it, it, was great you guys yeah, missed I, it <laughs> we were like we already like all these riffs of course we'll buy the album <laughs> yeah oh my god i mean i have the green day album nimrod from a couple years ago which came out in 96 but now i can hear it with one or two godzilla roars <laughs> 1899 please sam goody proprietor <laughs> do you think for a while like alt radio stations that wanted to play like you know punky or rock music from the 90s had to play the godzilla version because people be like hey um so when i requested uh brain fart or whatever that song was called um i really wanted to hear the godzilla sound on the radio that's all i I really wanted i mean if brain farts not a green day song i would be surprised but i think this one's called brains too gotcha i think it's blood fart on my own, here we go. God, Green Day is so fucking terrible. Yeah, I used to um, love them. Everyone did. It I was used a to rule. love them too. I was also twelve yeah. at one point. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's your next one? My next one is a little movie called Splice. Oh yeah. Splice is the follow-up to the cult movie Cube by the director Vincenzo Natale, the Canadian director. Cube's great. Cube is great. Yeah. I loved Cube. That's the reason I was so disappointed by this movie. Uh, it, it just feels like it's made for me. It's this. It's about scientists oh, love them. In, a, in a lab. Great place to do science. Doing science. Studying a weird phenomena. In this case, a phenomena they've created. Uh, a weird creature. And gradually their life is like interweaving with the creature's life. Yeah. But it just becomes this like kind of brain dead creature feature. And years later, I've seen it a few times. I just keep trying to make myself like it. 
Because <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, yeah, the director's the director's really cool, and it, you know, Adrian Brody has to be good. He was good in like three other movies, right? And Sarah Polly's in it, and like you can't not love Sarah Polly. Yeah, Sarah Polly's great. This was in her brief period when she really wanted to make Hollywood mainstream movies before she like retreated back to making yeah. awesome movies. Yeah. Um, it's a good retreat. Most people when they stop making mainstream Hollywood movies, they make like no she, movies. She's or good in Dawn of the movies. Dead. She is really good in Dawn of the Dead. And this is this is another one of those things where like it came at a time where it just felt like it had such an amazing pedigree and it's produced by Guillermo del Toro. It, it just felt like it was a perfect thing for me and it just fucking fell apart and I just can't make myself love it anymore. <laughs> so I was I was older when it came out and I was excited for it just by the trailers that look cool. I, I'm actually learning for the first time it was from the director of Cube. I thought I for some reason, even though I like Cube, I never like tracked his career. Um, so, but I, I do love Cube. But yeah, I remember just being like, yeah, that was three stars. Um, I didn't. I, I I just I was hoping for something better. Turned out not that great. It's possible that you got confused by the title, and it's why you thought you should love it. Because um, it's called Splice, but I'm guessing you probably thought it was called Slice. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, get a big slice of this pizza pie. <laughs> Why'd you have to make it sound like your dick? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll come over here and chomp on this slice. And then you got to the movie and you're like, oh, it's a, it's a splice. That's different. Well, I'm than... being sexually harassed in a movie theater by a cartoon Italian man. <laughs> get over here. <laughs> Why is he also Scorpion? Well, um, yeah. Well, Scorpion, where you like went on vacation in New York for six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> came back to the, whatever dimension the Mortal Kombat people are from and is like, yo, Shere Khan, get over here. Get over here. Uh, so my next one is, I'm going to do a double because I feel like I loved him for the same reason. It was when I was really starting to get into like film and directors and the talent behind the camera and all that kind of stuff like in high school. And so I was uh, tracking filmographies and I started to have favorite actors that weren't just like, oh, my favorite actor is who, Alan Grant in, in Jurassic Park. And my favorite <laughs> actor is just uh, Peter Pan in Hook. Um, you know, it was more like, oh, these guys are really good at their craft and they're, they're signed on to interesting movies. So there's two movies that I remember one. This is like high school age. That I remember when I made my first, like, top 100 movie list, they're on it. I was convinced I loved them because of the other films these people had been a part of. And, like, they're really bad movies. I don't like them at all. But I I was like, yep, I'm a ser- I work at a video store. <laughs> I've seen a few more movies recently. I'm, I know directors' names. And these two movies are two of my favorites. And those are Singles. Uh, because the other th- three uh, Cameron Crowe movies that were out at that time were like three of my favorite movies. And they're still really good movies. Like Almost Famous Jerry Maguire, Say Anything, are great. But I somehow in that also convinced myself I loved Singles, which is not a good movie. And then uh, the movie The Score with uh, Edward Norton, Marlon Brando, and Robert Nero. Like Edward Norton and Robert I, – like, I, I, of course I was into Goodfellas and Fight Club and, you know – Liked Marlon Brando, probably from the island of Dr. Moreau. And was like, and Frank Oz was directing, who had done, you know, a lot of movies at that point Miss that Piggy. I really liked. Miss Piggy. But, I mean, I liked Little Shop of Horrors, and I even liked, like, In-N-Out. Like, he w- he made good movies at that point. This is, like, pre-Stepford Wives. or, um, But 
so I was convinced those two movies were like were fantastic, and they're like they're just not they're not good movies. Um, have you ever seen the score or singles? No, I know I've seen singles. Singles is uh, an incredibly douchey movie because Vince Vaughn at like him being like I'm going to show the world who I am, and we're all like, yeah, that's that's what that's you think you are. You think of swingers? I'm thinking of swingers. Yeah, then I haven't seen singles. singles. Is the Matt Dillon grunge uh, movie Cameron Crowe's like second movie from 1991? I haven't seen it. So he and especially because I was a little late to to the grunge movement, but it was about the same time, like 1999, that like I started to get into Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Soundgarden and all this stuff. So it was like I love this. Everything about this is great. It's not a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, um, it sounds bad. Yeah, um, 98 on my Cameron first Cro- top 100 th- list. <laughs> though that was at Cameron Crow at the height of his power. So you're not being really that. No. Uh, well, the height of his powers, I think, was when he made better movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> it, was actually, it was actually a sign of it was a portent of the doom to come. Uh, <laughs> um, a sad uh, omen. We better we better hurry this up. So so uh, my next one is uh, just I'll just read the pedigree for it. Directed by John Hillcoat, the director of The Proposition. <laughs> One of my favorite movies in the world. Uh, screenplay by Nick Cave, one of my favorite musicians in the world, especially when this movie was coming out. Uh, and it stars Tom Hardy, Gary Oldman, Mia Wasikowski, Jessica Chastain, Guy Pierce. The score is by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. It was made by Annapurna. It's a movie called Lawless, and it's fucking bad. It's not good at all. And it's with that pedigree, though, like, I was so pumped for it. Like, it's a movie. So were you disappointed by it? Or were you like, that was good? And then choked down throw up? Where? Because it sounds like you just didn't like that. I was, like, so excited. And then about, like, I just, like, even when the movie was over, I was like, that was pretty good. That was pretty good, right? It took me a few weeks to finally admit that this movie that has everybody that I love in it was terrible. And I it really helped me put all of my hate for Shia LaBeouf into one place. That's nice. I could just, bl- I could just blame him for that movie, which isn't fair because he's not the worst part of the movie. The worst part of the movie is probably like, um, who's creepy blonde kid from Valerian? Oh, Dane DeHane. Is that his name? Dane DeHaan. Yeah, DeHaan. he's like a... He's Dane like DeHane's a, a better name. Rolls he's Dane DeHane. He also plays like, I believe, a, a mentally challenged person. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what he decided to do for the character, but it was uh, very bad. Um, what you're saying is that movie should have been called Goodless because <laughs> all the good things, not. all the good things that you like have been subtracted from mm-hmm. it. <laughs> that movie's pretty good. Less, less <laughs> killer. Oh, we're doing it. All right. Um, so I had Pocahontas. Okay, Little Mermaid came out in '89. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, I think '91, and then Aladdin in '92. And so, or maybe Aladdin was 93, but um, regardless, it was like, these were three amazing movies, you know, watched them all the time. I was like, so in for the Disney Renaissance and there was so much marketing towards like every new, like the new Disney animated feature would be on every, you know, Disney video cassette, like a year before they show previews. So it just seemed like whatever was going to come next was going to 
Uh, oh, and then the Lion King. That's what Lion King was 94. So you had Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, and I just loved all those movies. And uh, again, the amount of marketing targeting for me and getting me pumped for the next one was uh, pretty high at that age. And so when it was the next one was Pocahontas. So it was like, this is going to be fantastic and I'm going to love it as much as the rest of them. And um, it's not a good movie. Uh, there's, some, there's some good moments. Like, it's not a terrible movie and it has a couple good songs. Uh, it's also way more, you know, offensive than I knew in 1995 or 96. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just was like, yep, it's a Disney movie that I love. And we bought the video cassette and I probably watched it 50 times. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago that I watched it again. But, like, I never really enjoyed it. I just remember watching it and being like, yep, I, I'm liking this. I mean, not like I like these other ones, but, yep, this is a good movie. I like <laughs> You know, it, again, it's it's such an ineffable feeling of what I think we're trying to go through with these lists, but of like really trying to convince yourself or, you know, whatever, whatever else. But Pocahontas was definitely one that I gritted my teeth and finally was like, I don't like this. This is not a good movie at all. <laughs> uh, what else you got? Um, so my next one is Don't Think Twice, uh, a movie directed by Mike Birbiglia. Um, and just like the last one has a, an amazing pedigree behind it written and directed by Mike Birbiglia, a comic I'm very fond of, um, produced by Ira Glass. Uh, it has Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Gillian Jacobs, uh, Mike Birbiglia, Kate Micucci, Chris Gethard, Tammy Sager, a bunch of really, really funny, funny comics in it. And this one had a particular discomfort for me because, um, not only did I not like it, I just kept the whole time I was watching it, tried to force myself to laugh. So like, these are funny people. The, the funny people are, are, are doing funny things. This, this this is funny, right? Like just it's not forcing. that funny. It's not that funny. Oh, finally you speak up, yeah, Jesus Christ, Morgan. I'm sorry. I was, I was very nervous. The tornado was very loud, and I couldn't really hear much. Oh, we couldn't hear it at all. Yeah. I'm glad you survived the the ravaging storms outside. Yeah, no. Well, was... he was fine. We saw him shaking his head the whole time. Peter, remember the bit? <laughs> Do oh, you I remember? remember? The bit. I remember the bit that I was there good, for. You were the one doing it. Yeah, because my memory's head. just that good. Uh-huh. <laughs> Occasionally, <laughs> so I gave a thumbs up, but I apparently you guys didn't notice that. Yeah, we couldn't hear the thumbs up. Uh, you st- don't have very creaky fingers. We minimized right. the window pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> because if you did grisly die, we were like, I don't want to see this. Uh, plus, I'm recording and I can watch it later and do some fun editing noise. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, we're going to finish up our list really quick, and then Morgan, uh, now that you feel like finally speaking to us, yeah. you can go through You can go through yours really quick. So, um, my last one – oh, the last thing I was going to say had yours, Peter, for Don't Think Twice. Um, you may have liked the movie more if you would have followed the movie's instructions because <laughs> you, the problem was that you liked it, but then when you thought once, but then when you thought twice – didn't like it. It was not all right. It It was not all right. No. Uh, All right. My last one is kind of an obvious one, but very true. Like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull um, was my most anticipated movie of the summer in a like a packed summer in 2008. Like Iron Man, The Dark Knight. Yeah, that summer was was thick. That was thick. It was a big (laughs) meaty summer to sink your teeth into. uh, Yeah, it's bad. I didn't like it. But I bought it the second it came out. 
and rented it and watched it and just like I'm like how could they have made a bad Indiana Jones movie person who also probably had Stockholm Syndrome with the last three Star Wars movies at that time Um, (laughs) but yeah it just there is a there is a point to kind of wrap up my thoughts on the whole Stockholm Syndrome thing especially when we talk about Batman Robin where there's an age where it's like oh why would they make a bad movie when they can make a good movie like the the idea of movies is like these like crazy clusterfucks that sometimes come together to make a good and entertaining one is just you're just not aware of it at a certain age and so especially if there's good pedigree and people you like it's just like well when they were watching it, if it was bad wouldn't they have said oh let's make it better and um so i must be the problem because they would have never made a bad movie and released it to theaters because they can see in here yeah they, um. yeah hollywood <laughs> never releases bad movies well, and then you realize that what happens and how movies are made, and you're like, oh, it's nice that we get good ones sometimes. Uh, yes. Morgan, we have 45 seconds left in this segment. What's your, what's your five? No, uh, I will preface this by saying that, like, smaller art house movies, I tend to know if I'm going to vibe with it or not just by, like, the synopsis. I have, like, a really good sixth sense of, like, if it's made under $20 million, the budget if I'm going to like the movie or not based on the premise. So pretty much all of my movies are big blockbusters because they're the only ones I feel like lie to me. Um, So my list is Avengers Age of Ultron. I thought I was going to love it because it's like the dark Avengers. It's like, ooh, everyone's sad and all that. And it sucked. I really like James Spader as Ultron, but the tone just couldn't decide if it wanted to be another Avengers movie or if it was just dark, which made it... When I did originally see it, I walked out and I'm like, it was okay, it was fine. And then as I was talking to a friend of mine on the way home, he pointed out the specific scene, it's when Hulk and the Black Widow are like, they're they're saying their tearful goodbye, and it's a really sad scene, and then Hulk throws Ultron out, the win- out, out of the Quinjet or whatever the hell it is, and Ultron goes like, oh, come on, really? And it's this really comical beat after this really dark, dour moment, and my friend was like, that's the moment I knew I hated this movie, and I hate Joss Whedon, and I will <laughs> never forgive him. And I was like, holy shit, you're right. And then I watched it again, and I was like, wow, no, this... Holy shit, he's right. This movie just doesn't know what it wants to be. And for a good six months, I was like, it was okay, it was fine. And then it wasn't. Um, I'll just go really fast. Uh, Attack of the Clones. Uh, I saw it as a kid, and I liked it. I didn't like it as much as the other two Star Wars prequels as a kid, but as a kid, I was like, you know, well, I saw it in a really crowded theater, and it was really loud, and... And I fell down some stairs. I fell down some stairs, <laughs> I broke my toe, um, but uh, <laughs> I, I had convi- this is really dumb, I had convinced myself that I didn't like it because people laughed in the theater, broke into laughter at the, what we call the disco Yoda scene, when Yoda busts out his little lightsaber. Well, you hate joy. I yes, I hated joy. So, like little nine-year-old me was super convinced. Like they just didn't understand the majesty of Lucas's vision. They just didn't get it, <laughs> and it ruined the experience for me. And you know, I watched it again. I did a marathon of all six when I was in high school, and I was like, no, no, they laughed at it because it's little Yoda just bouncing up and down the walls, and it's so dumb. <laughs> Um, I feel like I could put all the Star Wars mo- those those prequel movies on my list where I didn't come to terms with them not being good uh, until years later. Yeah, uh, for each of them, and then like was reconvinced the next one was better. Yeah, um, 
What was interesting was I convinced myself that uh, Revenge of the Sith was a bad movie for a long time, and then I rewatched it, and I actually really like that one again. Uh, there was a that's the one that people are pretty forgiving of of the three. The other two are just vomit fests, I think, for most people. Yeah, still. there's. Uh... I, think the, I think the first one's the best. Oh, that's that's actually a fair opinion. There's actually a really good defense of the prequels by a guy. He's a leftist uh, commentator called H Bomber Guy. And he went on a podcast and did this really convincing defense of the prequels uh, that made it sound like Lucas is a secret genius and doesn't tie into, like, ring theory at all. It's all about how he... The artificiality of those movies works in their favor because it highlights just how, like, phony the Jedi are and it ties into, like, Last Jedi. But he did a really good defense of them, but I'll let y'all look. Let's just move on. Uh, Man of Steel is actually yeah. one that, like... That was a big disappointment for me. It was... What sucked about Man of Steel was, I think it has, aside from, like, the wild... Where the wild things are, has, like, the best theatrical trailer ever made. Yeah. Um, Cloverfield? Uh, yeah, Cloverfield. It's, like, one of the top five trailers ever. Just that whole speech about, you know, you will help them accomplish wonders. That is, like... When I saw that trailer, I was like... I never thought I'd say this, but Zach, right? Zach... Snyder, the dude who made Watchmen just an okay action movie, is gonna get Superman right. Like, because that is that's... see, I loved, I loved Zack Snyder. I yeah. was like at that time because I loved Watchmen. No, I, I love Watchmen too, um, but like, it's totally not in line with the novel at all. I'll leave it at that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Man of Steel. Um, I really liked it when I watched it in the theater, specifically uh, the one moment I actually, like, damn near was like, oh my god, this is it, this is the Superman I wanted, was when the fanfare is kicking up and he's pushing up against the, like, the space laser, because space lasers were big in the early 2010s. Uh, and I was like, ooh, this is, this is that Superman moment. And then I read reviews, and then I, I thought about it, it was, again, it was one of those, I liked it the first time I watched it, and then I watched it again, like, six months later, and that last scene, it, the the battle scene is so bad, and it's so, like, I don't know, the, I, I have a thing where you can get kind of caught up in the moment of a movie, and then when you go, you go back to watch it with, like, a more critical eye, when you're not, like, when you know what to expect, uh, I feel like you can pick out trouble spots more easily like the star trek into darkness yeah your star trek into darkness that's that's that would be another good example yeah Um, everyone loved it five minutes after and hated it five hours after yeah yeah it's it's beer goggles you get swept up in the in the excitement and the energy and then the next morning you're like what the what did i do yeah (laughs) oh yeah and man of steel is like I must not have rated this at four stars on Letterboxd. Oh, that was someone else. That was the dark me. <laughs> Ain't like that now. But yeah, like, <laughs> it was the second time I watched it. It was like, oh my god. Papa Ken is a psychopath. He's a libertarian <laughs> psychopath in this movie. Um, but that's all I'll say on Man of Steel. More smarter, better people have touched on it. Um, cars? Kind of a goofy one to pick, but Cars... Uh, was probably the first. I had I had Pocahontas on my list. Oh, okay, fair it. enough. Uh, it's almost it's the exact same thing. My guess is like generally generationally, like Pixar could do no wrong for you, like Disney animation at my age yes. could do no wrong uh, yeah. there. And then I was like, oh, I must love this. Yeah, it's no, it's Disney. totally the same deal. And 
that was when I saw it in the theater, I liked it, but I didn't like it as much. But that was like right after I turned, I think, 14, I think is when it came out. So I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm just getting older and I'm outgrowing Disney movies. And then I think uh, Ratatouille dropped right, like the year after. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, no, I, I'm, I'm still all on board on the Pixar train. Let me go rewatch Cars again. <laughs> and it was, no. Maybe this... they made a movie about trains. <laughs> <laughs> Did they make a movie about trains so they can actually say they've made a movie about planes, trains, and automobiles? Nope, that's still only John Candy's wheelhouse. God damn it. (laughs) I'm so mad. They actually buried the rights to that in his coffin. (laughs) The the, the rights to the trains movie? (laughs) Yeah. Pixar Pixar will never be able to complete its trilogy. You can make boats, space shuttles, (laughs) and drill into the center of the earth. You still have a movie with three modes of transportation. Yeah, the Thomas people came and they were like, "We're gonna lock, we're gonna brick you in behind a wall if you try and make a train movie. Stay out of our territory, Thomas. You're gonna die in a coffin <laughs> since you're an eternal monster with no heartbeat because you're artificial. Every you're gonna be like a ghost story." For you, fucking the you con- just see time pass all around you, Thomas. The conductor, voiced by George Carlin, took Brad Bird out behind the Pixar studio and broke his knees. Um, Jesus Christ! But yeah, the last movie on my list, so we could wrap this up, is uh, Boyhood. <laughs> we we come full circle because that was my first one. Oh my god! Uh, I, I I didn't think you were gonna. I didn't know if you were gonna chime in or not, Morgan. I, so I just uh, decided to, to knock it out, dude. I. I Honestly, I could not hear you over all of the hail and tornadoing that was outside mm-hmm. my house. How uh, many cows flew by? At least five. And the Wicked Witch of the West. Like, it was pretty crazy, Come dude. On. Hung out with some munchkins. <laughs> I don't... Is that... Wait, tornadoes sound kind of cool. Yeah, they're kind of... Oh. Dude. Here, go chase it down, see if we can come back. <laughs> Dude, don't don't Tornado. let don't let those liars in the liberal media fool you. Tornadoes are sick. You should chase them every day. <laughs> well, tornadoes are actually called by the flat earth spinning on a disc by uh, like a teapot. Exactly. Or a frisbee. Th- thank you. Uh, I've been taking my brain force lately, so I feel like it's really opening my eyes to the power of the tornado. Oh. See, if I want my eyes open, I take eye force. Yeah. If I want my eyes open, I, t- I commit a horrible crime and get the Ludovico treatment. Yeah, dude. So it's kind of a weird podcast with three people that aren't fond of boyhood. Yes. But, <laughs> um, but so I I guess uh, if we want to keep listeners, because it is a unique breed, uh, the three of us should never do a boyhood episode together. Agreed. Again, I couldn't hear you over the hail, but I, uh, I assume y'all pretty much touched on everything about boyhood. Uh, I will say the one... I'll just add one thing. The thing that really stuck to me about Boyhood that I, I tried to convince myself I liked it for a long time, and then what really sealed it, uh, one was, uh, this is going to sound super dumb, the Red Letter Media review of it. Um, but the other thing that really sealed it that I think is more substantial is Moonlight. Yeah. Because uh, it basically has the same premise, where it's from boyhood to manhood, but unlike Boyhood, there's actually, like, shit happening in moonlight there's See, that's, there's forward momentum yeah. that's always been my thing about it because it's like you know if it didn't have the 12 year gimmick the movie's so 
basically plotted and not that interesting scene to scene. And it does take a little bit of a, like, effect of time over 12 years. But, like, my thing has always been, if you just made that movie, the exact movie, but did not shoot it over 12 years and just had a different actor... No one would be no saying one would it's that good of a movie. Well, like, just think about the fact that the central dynamic of one of the segments is uh, addiction and how in Boyhood the addiction is treated like a Lifetime movie and shot like a Lifetime movie. Like it feels yeah. so forced and so melodramatic. But in Moonlight, it's this like weaving problem. It creeps in it, in Moonlight. Yeah. It creeps yeah, in. It's, and it, it, it's so it's terrifyingly believable in Moonlight. Well, it, yeah, it, it, uh, in Moonlight, what really struck home with me in Moonlight is is I know people and I grew up with people uh, around addiction. And thankfully, they eventually beat it and they're way better now. But it definitely, like, Moonlight really captured that feeling of when you're really, really little, you don't you notice something's wrong, but you're not quite sure what. And then as you get older, you notice it more and more and more until it just completely overtakes you. Yeah, uh, it should have been called Patricia Arquette Hood because that's the best part of the movie. Y- yes. Uh, uh, so, th- so this has been a Batman and Robin yes. podcast uh, exclusively so far. Do you guys want to talk about the movie proper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Batman and Robin instead of Boyhood yeah. for five minutes. <laughs> Welcome back to We Love to Watch, uh, where we're going to keep just talking about Batman and Robin as this fully turned into an episode of you talking you two to me. Um, but uh, it was a great conversation. And Morgan, I wish we could have heard you for most of it because you look like you were saying some very interesting stuff. I was actually um, talking about uh, my dissertation on the uh, on Karl Marx's uh, Capital, and I thought you guys were really into it. But now that I know you guys were just talking about, like, fucking movies you were disappointed by, I feel betrayed. Yeah, no, we weren't into it at all, oh, what okay. you were talking well, about. Well, that's unfortunate. The nodding is an involuntary reaction both of our heads make because uh, we we do these on vibrating mattresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, are plugged, <laughs> that are plugged into each other through an Ethernet cord. Anyways, it's not important. You can look it up online. Yeah. Um, Peter, your alternate taglines, I believe, although I do have one um, as well. Um, so, Batman and Robin. This isn't homoerotic. Look at all these women Batman's ignoring. <laughs> uh, this has my least favorite Batman trope that's in all the movies when he's in a long-term committed relationship with his girlfriend but just can't commit to marriage. Uh, <laughs> he's like, uh, 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 marriage, I'm, uh, uh, really busy being Batman right now, uh, um. Did you have uh, any more, Peter? Yeah, uh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Deconvert- deconverting furries through Uma Thurman since 1996. <laughs> Do you guys remember the scene where Uma Thurman is dressed as a gorilla and then she strips off the gorilla clothes to just be uh, Poison Ivy? Of course I did, Peter, because after Batman Returns, the studio mandated that these movies get more family friendly. So, of course, there'd be a gorilla strip tease uh, scene. 
<laughs> this movie's fucking horny as shit, too. It's so weird. They're like, we'll take out where, like, the movie's good, but keep it just as horny for those uh, kids. But it's, it's the wrong kind of horny. I want Batman and Robin to be horny for each other and be, like, competing over, like, a hunky villain or something. I don't want, like, all this, like, all this weird half-hearted, like, which woman will they each end up with? I didn't know we had Joel Schumacher on the podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well at the end of the movie it's it's hard to what see robin with anyone because at the end of the movie where robin just says a bunch of misogynistic shit at batgirl for 10 minutes out of nowhere it's like <laughs> maybe you can just be alone <laughs> you're gonna lift this you know you're a girl like you're all dressed up fighting a bad guy all of a sudden you're like i just i, I just want to make my opinions very clear women are bad at being people and superheroes thank you i am robin the relatable one um, it definitely comes from like that Bart Simpson oh, Lord bullshit, which uh, so again, bad. Chris O'Donnell is terrible in this movie. Enemy of the show, Chris O'Donnell um, started last week. If he's he's in the triumvirate with Craig Bierko, the other guy, and <laughs> he will not be named. No, I mean someday we're gonna remember it, and then we're Ooh. not gonna tell you. Ooh, we're if gonna get him then. Oh. If anyone listens to our back catalog, DM me when you figure it out. Um. Yeah, slip into his DMs. Uh-huh. Yeah, slip right in there. So I have a, I have a request. Can you do can you do this uh, recap like as fast as you can? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm gonna go through it really quick. So I watched all through the tagline though. So the one for Batman Returns was um, the bat, the cat, and the bird. So for this one, it's the bat, the bird, another bat, the ice, the plant, and the veins. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the recap the other is. Bat. Oh, yeah, Batgirl. (laughs) Uh, So, the plot recap is there's a new villain in town as the police commissioner, who I'm assuming is about to be indicted on, like, just immediately assuming people are villains. Um, And constantly partying. Everyone in this movie is constantly at a a gala. Yeah. Uh, Gala? Mm -hmm. I think, it's gala. I think it's gala, but you put a little bit too much pepper on the first yeah. syllable. Gala? Excuse me? Come on. Are you, are you, gala. Are you, Is it a are gala? you saying that this movie might have homosexual overtones? <laughs> uh, Maybe a little. Subtle, but not enough. It's very subtle. Well, frankly, <laughs> the, op- the opening scene has reminded me of Too Many Cooks, where it keeps zooming in on that falcon. <laughs> You just keep zooming in on different parts of their body for like at least 30 minutes of the two two hour and four minute runtime. Yeah, it's like butts, crotch, butts, crotch, nipples, butts, crotch, fingers. (laughs) Um, That sounds like a Right Said Fred song from the early 90s. Butts, crotch, nipples. (laughs) But I will say they made the car less phallic this time. Before I said it looked like a penis with a ribbed condom on it. Um, Now it's just ugly. Yes, I actually like the Batmobile in this one. It it looks like it looks like a rave threw up on a Tron light cycle. <laughs> I do like how big of wings it has, as if it's actually going to take off. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, there's Mister Freeze. He's in town. Uh, he you wouldn't know it by all of his quips. This movie is like. Akiva Goldsmith, who's never written a good movie, and this is 
also one of those movies that uh, ascribes <laughs> This is a that. movie he wrote. This <laughs> is a movie he wrote. It's like someone bet him $100, bet you can't only do a quip-based dialogue movie. <laughs> and he's like, fuck you. I'm just happy to have Joel Schumacher here who will just make scripts into movies. Um, so, yeah, it's a, Mr. Freeze is in town. And he's going through a really rough time preserving his dead wife, and he handles that through uh, only talking about ice in uh, progressively worse, not puns, just he says sentences Fake and then says something gold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Because I haven't brushed up on my recent scientific material on the subject because I've been <laughs> trying to cure my wife. Um, so that's that. Uh, that goes through the whole movie. He tries to freeze Gotham. He does not succeed. Uh, Batman, Batgirl, who in this movie is named Barbara uh, Pennyworth, I think. Yes. Because, which is great. Not Barbara Gordon, Barbara Pennyworth. For no reason. So Alfred's niece. Alfred's dying, too. That comes up about, he's got, like... A, he's got the dreaded McGregor syndrome. Yeah, it comes up, like, a half hour in the movie. It's the same thing that Mr. Freeze's wife has. Um, Poison Ivy and Bane show up. Uh, Poison Ivy... Uh, after all, all the people that are like, man... Catwoman is one of the best portrayals of a, of a female villain in any of these movies. Let's go way underneath that. Like, let's just burn it right through the ground. <laughs> to have just this random jealous person who just murders other women because I just, it's so bad. Anyways, but she doesn't succeed either. Uh, Bane looks like he's ripped right out of a Toxic Avenger movie, uh, which is amazing because this movie had a budget of $125 million. Um, yeah, it doesn't look like it. It's nice, though, that Bane has no characterization, because otherwise this movie would be five hours long. There's the best already p- too many characters in it. The best part of Bane's character is the time that he puts on a, a top hat and a trench coat and thinks that disguises him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, at the end of the movie, Batgirl, Batman, who's now played by George Clooney and smiles a lot, um, and Batgirl are all a team because of family. It's such a god. This movie, Rob, Morgan. We kind of shared our our thoughts about this movie. It's what led to the whole discussion of like cinematic, uh, cinem- cinematic, cinematic uh, podcast yeah. rebranded. <laughs> oh, cinematic, uh, <laughs> cinematic uh, disappointments. Uh, what 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 do you think? What do you do? You like this one? <laughs> I really hosting. I really wanted to. One of my had you ever seen it before? I, yeah, well, I saw it when I was like a kid. Yeah, um, and I didn't remember it at all. Uh, I just remembered that the Batmobile had lights on it, and I remembered I was going to see the bat suits are cool, and I remember Mister Freeze looked cool, and I didn't remember anything else about it, like the whole like ice pun thing and the goofball antics. I thought I didn't remember that at all. Um, and I really wanted to like it because Chris Sims, who's one of my favorite comic book culture writers, has gone on record saying this is his, aside from The Dark Knight, his favorite Batman movie. Hmm. Well, I know a friend of the show, Brandon Lede, loves it, too. Yes. Um, and I and we kind of talked about, like, I feel bad that a lot of people have found something here, and Peter and I were both hoping to. I, we just didn't. I, so, I will say the opening sequence of this movie was everything I've ever wanted from Batman cinema and more. 
Yeah. It is Batman fighting with Robin because Robin is really mad that he doesn't have an extremely phallic Batmobile to call his own. <laughs> he just has an extremely phallic motorcycle. <laughs> And then, for some reason... Oh, this is my favorite detail of the movie, is that all of the props are very clearly, like, just big slabs of plastic that they green-screened, like, video feeds onto. Yeah! Like, they don't even make it look like screens. It's just clearly just a slab of plastic that they key-matted everything onto. That's because most of the action sequences that involve vehicles or Batman in the air or whatever are CGI. So they don't need them to be, they don't need actual full-size models for more than a few seconds because they're not going to be in any action scenes. They're just going to computer animate them anyways. Yes, but, um... This movie's entire aesthetic is, you know how they have, like, Batman Live that goes to, like, the Target Center or, you know, Metrodome or all those kind of places? Um, Batman Live. And it just tours around. It's, like, for kids. Like, and they'll do, like, I think they have a Marvel one. And it's just, like, this stage show... It's not on ice specifically, but is like, you know, hammy acting, but hey, you can take your six-year-old to it and they get to see Batman and Superman and all that stuff. And I, I went to a couple of those as a kid and I've seen them, you know, get popular again. Um, and this movie's entire aesthetic is one of those. Like, yes. It's the Batman stage show. It is the from the acting to the costume designs to... I mean, this this barely qualifies as a as a movie, um, and I guess one of you know to kind of start getting into some of the the reasons why I don't like it. Because again, I know a lot of people have affection for it. We'll talk about some of the reasons why, um, and then a lot of people love it as like a bad movie, which you know I. Peter and I have expressed some affection for, like, the rooms of the world and the birdemics of the world and those kind of, like, labor of loves that turn so incompetent um, that they are they are enormously watchable. And I just don't get any – like, this movie, and as confirmed by all the commentary tracks and the backstage stuff and the IMDb trivia notes and all that stuff, this movie was like a – you know, it's the whole toyetic thing yes. with – they just wanted to get new toys. The studio didn't care. They wanted money, 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 money. Joel Schumacher didn't care. He's like, if that's what you want, I guess we'll do that. And so no one cared. And it's all like the 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 amount of fuck you kids, here's your Batman movie, uh, please spend money, is so on screen. Like it is it, it is amazing how cynical this movie is on every level. Oh, yeah. And so it's hard it's hard to enjoy that as a bad movie, but also it's hard to enjoy it because, you know, we talked early about how this did kill like the Batman franchise and also like superhero movies for a little bit. And now even looking back, I said, I said when we started this, that I hope we can look at it with fresh eyes, knowing that the superhero genre recovered, but I'm actually weirdly more angry about it because the idea that this cynical of a movie made the studios go, well, I guess people don't want to fucking watch Batman anymore or superhero movies, so let's just stop making them. It's like, you did this. Like, you you made everyone not like this anymore. And then instead of, like, changing course and, like, redirecting or trying to, you know, like, I don't know, put a 
creative talent behind the camera again and give them some freedom like you did on your previously uh, critically and audience successful superhero movies. The idea is just like, well, fuck you. We're on to the next thing we can take your money from. So if you're going to go out, go out swinging, like at least if they had if Batman Returns had been, you know, the bomb or whatever that had, you know, at least the the uh, slight disappointment that had made them be like, OK, maybe we hang up the hat for a while. It would have been fine because Batman Returns is a deeply weird movie that's like full of conviction and vision. Yeah. And this is a movie that is not full of conviction and vision. It, it's it's a conglomerated corporate product that happens to have some interesting subtext. I really want to get into the subtext <laughs> yes. of it because it's way more interesting than the actual movie. But yes, I, I yeah, I, I will say um, about like the joy on screen. The opening scene of the movie, the opening like fight at the where the, the diamond heist. I was actually like, okay, I'm on board. This is goofy. It's it yeah. feels like a super gay, super neon, extravagant, $150 million update of Batman 66. And I was like, I am all in. Yeah. I am all oh, that in. Oh, ba- that opening scene is the best scene And, like, movie, it climaxes in them surfing out of a rocket onto Mr. Freeze, who's flying on Angel Wings. I was like, yay, this is the movie I wanted. And then it just gets yeah. so boring for an hour. It's so boring. Aaron brought this up. The candy aesthetic is uh, sort of a twofold <laughs> metaphor. Because it's not just candy colored, it has these bright, vibrant colors, and like I said, a lot of character. One of the cool things about the palette is that when a character enters in the scene, they change the color of the scene. Uh, when Batman is winning a fight, the shadows start to get darker. When Freeze is winning a fight, the room gets blue and smoky and icy. It like feels like cold, and then. Uh, but also, like candy, like you eat too you eat too much of it in a short period of time, you start to get a headache and feel sick, because it's 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 a movie that lasts like twenty five minutes before your patience runs out, and then hopefully you can muster up some more patience for the the climax. But the problem is that this is a two hour movie that because it's so episodic, but the episodes themselves aren't interesting, that you could cut like kind of anything and make this a 70 minute movie because there's so many scenes that are like i said people keep going to parties people keep um freeze keeps having these failed plots and then he gets captured and then he gets released from jail and then he just keeps doing the same plan over and over again there's no escalation of the plan until the third act like it's just two hours of, of garbage. Of just scenes. Until they're like, okay, then we need, then we got to the end where we finally are going to the um, the observatory, which we could have gone to 40 minutes into the movie. Well, that's why I was saying why in rewatching this, it's it's clear that to me anyways, like Batman Forever is a better, more enjoyable movie because there's a, there's a through line. It's Riddler wants to do this. Riddler wants to do this. Riddler wants to do this. It and resembles pl- a real movie. Yeah, the plot all revolves around Riddler and it's not a good movie. But like it didn't – watching Batman Forever was not a chore. It was It was two hours of this is fine. Like that's what it was. It was this is fine. I'm not getting bored. You know, the even some of the more annoying points uh, like the Jim Carrey stuff is almost like flipped over into some weird like Tim and Eric 
uh, enjoyment out of it. Like, this is just so bizarre. He behaved like this in front of this many people and thought this was good. Like, so this this one was and I hate I hate calling a movie boring because I feel like that's almost like willingly not engaging with it. But, oh, my gosh, this was tough. It was tough by the end of this movie. The pun thing, the pun thing for this. Let's talk about the villains. The pun thing for Mr. Freeze is reminds me of the sideshow Bob rake gag in that it fails the rake gag thing. (laughs) You know, the rake gag test is it's funny. It's very funny. And then it stops being funny. And then it's very, very funny because they're they keep committing to it. And then it just does loops. But you're the you know the the troughs the you know the valleys and the and the peaks just get like sharper because it's gone on so long and you're just invested in it. The pun thing feels like that, and it's not supposed to feel like that. It's just the only way they knew how to characterize them is is giving them puns. The pun feels like that, except for it does. <laughs> This amazing peak where you're like, oh, is he just going to do puns the whole movie? This is going to be amazing. And then it gets a little boring. Pun and then it tier. just gets more and more boring. And then you're like, oh, this isn't like funny. This is just pathetic and kind of sad. And then you're like, I totally know why this is a meme because it is only fun for the two minutes it takes you to go through a meme. Yeah, it's yeah. good for like a super cut. It also is – this is such a weird thing to complain about in this movie that like the characters aren't emotionally consistent. But the fact that he does constantly just on a dime flip between my wife and I'm, you know, please save her to uh, like when he when that guy, when his henchman uh, walks in and he's like crying and trying and saying he wants to save his wife. And then the henchman walks in. And he's like and he does some stupid ice quip at him and then shoots him and then is like right back to like crying in, in front of his wife like. There's just no it, – it's so weird that, that Akiva Goldsman and uh, other people, like, they tried to model this off the 1993 Batman animated series episode, Heart of um, Ice. Heart of Ice. Which and is very, one of the best – Morgan, yeah. do you agree with me? It's one of the best. You didn't ask me, Peter, but I also agree with you. Uh, I think it's the best Batman – I think it's the second best Batman animated episode. My favorite's always going to be uh, Mad Love. But, yeah, I think it's really up there. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. And they clearly, I mean, they kind of stole the plot for this movie and then they got everything wrong. I mean, this is an actual movie where the person who is doing this for the love of his wife says uh, to Batman and Robin, your emotions make you weak. Yes. Like your entire thing is that's what you're doing. Like it's your whole thing. And it's not a clever line. It's just that there is no consistency to anything he says and does literally from moment to moment. It's a weird thing to be frustrated at with this movie, but it just was so – again, it's the cynicism. It's just like, who gives a shit? Yeah, no, it it makes total sense because, I mean, that's the thing. They're adapting his story from Heart of Ice, but they're doing it in the style of Batman 66 – when the 90s Batman animated series was supposed to be like a complete 180 from that tone. So they're smashing like the two opposite ends of what Batman could be the, you know, jolly Adam West and the really dark, grim animated series Batman and just kind of making them smash together. And it just. It, well, and then, and then they're using Surge as a binding agent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. Aaron, the, the, the thing you just called out, how there's a, a scene where Mr. Freeze is, is, is watching the dead wife tape, which, by the way, Liz, 
Uh, Liz loves that trope. She thinks it's the worst thing in the world <laughs> of husband watching his dead wife's video over and over again and just thinking about her. Um, so I wanted to call that out, <clears throat> ring the little bell for Liz. <laughs> um, but uh, that moment and a moment right after the bike race where they off of, uh, you know, uh, the edge of a bridge, they catch themselves and then they're just hanging there staring at each other. And then the movie just cuts to Wayne, Wayne Mansion, assuming that they get out of a pretty dangerous predicament fine. Like, I don't know how they get out of that predicament. He's hanging, she's hanging off of him, and he hasn't pulled himself up. The fact that they cut away at that moment, and the fact that Mr. Freeze has to quip after quip after murdering a henchman for interrupting him watching his wife's video, shows you something very central about the movie. As the movie has no humanity, no heart. No, it, it, it runs screaming away from human emotions and the idea that they, they could have had a tense little action scene where, uh, you know, Batgirl and Robin had to actually like climb up a, you know, failing infrastructure together, personable action moment where they actually have to like face off against like just not falling to their death. Those could have been like a really like emotional, simple moment and they've fucking botch both of them through sheer cowardice yeah that's i mean it's the problem when no one gives a shit like literally no one involved in this movie gave a shit about the movie at all i mean even um chris o'donnell i read an interview with him after this is like you talked about when they were on the set of batman forever it felt like they were making a real movie like people cared there was a vision and on this one he said like it was the one of the weirdest movie sets he's ever been on where no one seemed to care. Like even the he I think there was some like interview where he was talking about like even the script supervisor was like, Yeah, whatever like there that kind of like professionalism and expectation you have for making not just a movie, but like a huge budget, hundred and twenty five million dollars in twenty years ago budget. Yeah, and like he just was like it was weird that no one cared about anything. And it's a Chinese like, factory was printing Batman toys for McDonald's as they were shooting it. Yeah. And and <laughs> And that's fine. Like, that's actually pretty typical because they actually get the toy designs. That's a whole tangent I don't want to go off on. But Oh, no. I just um, mean the fact that the movie was being produced with such lack of care when there yeah. was, like, people slaving away in factory conditions. Oh. For, not that the quality of the movie matters for that, but yeah. that, that, that they didn't give a shit about this thing that, like, had such a effect on a lot of people. Well, it's weird, too, because you think that even if you're making – like, any movie, I don't know. I guess I just would expect that, like, you'd care about making it good, especially something that's going to be this huge. Huge. Like, everyone's going to see this movie or or everyone's going to know about this movie. And this idea that there was – and I, this whole, like, I I just don't – yeah, whatever. Let's just fucking shoot this and, and go home. Who cares about the fucking biggest comic book character in the world? And that's why I guess I don't get the bad movie vibe from this because there's no love put into this. There's not even like a no. modicum of effort put into this. So I'm literally watching uh, you know, I hate using this trope, but a two hour toy commercial that is like insulting my intelligence and it's like buy this, buy this, buy this. And you know, that's something I usually don't get up in arms about because I was a kid and I loved buying action figures in my favorite movies and I know that sometimes that dictates decisions, stuff like that, but you know, I don't I don't see the toy making part as cynical as 
even though it may be cynical, it, it, it still inspires a lot of creativity and a lot of fun. And I, I guess I don't have a problem with it. I mean, when you when you say like it's like a toy commercial, <clears throat> the original 80s Transformers movie, it's not a great movie, but it's a weird movie. And you can feel oh, yeah. like that people gave a shit about trying to make it enjoyable and risky <laughs> And well, that one's great too because they made they made their mark. They the craziest artistic decision in that movie is they kill off everyone that people like so they can introduce new toys, and that makes that entire movie bizarre. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre like so. Even movies made just purely for crass commercial decisions can still be good and weird and artistic in some manner, but this is just. So who's buying these toys anyway? Like this is not a good toy movie. I, I, I bought some of the action figures as a kid. God damn it, Morgan! I'm sorry. I had a Victor Freeze toy growing up, um, and a couple of the Batman from this. But that was just because like I loved Batman, and then all they were selling were toys from Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. <laughs> so like it wasn't really my you, choice. You didn't really so much have a as, choice. Like, yeah. I just yes. remember all the toys, and I was a little uh, – I was just aged out of toys at this point. But I do remember seeing them and thinking, like, who wants a fucking translucent Batman action figure, like, with Super Freeze Bar? I just want the, the cool Batman toy. Like, I don't need these weird – just give me a normal Batman with a cape and a suit. Get off my lawn. Uh, we <laughs> should probably get into the subtext a little bit so we don't – don't completely pass it by or save it for the very, very end. So the best relationship in this movie is Batman and Robin. Uh, it, it does have the weird thing where Batman has a long-term girlfriend. <laughs> Such a just a bizarre choice. Creed uh, does not care about in the least. He just doesn't want to get married. You know, Batman just doesn't. He's wanna... a dude's dude. Doesn't want to commit. I, I actually love. I think <laughs> no. it was in a in the David Letterman like. Th- that hour-long interview series he has on Netflix. Like, George Clooney straight up said, like, yeah, I played Batman like a closeted gay man in that movie. Like, that's my backstory for Bruce Wayne in that movie. And it informed all of my choices. It sort of shows, but, like, I don't get the context because it also, the movie begins with Bruce and Robin, you know, arguing about the car, obviously. But or, uh, Robin says, I want a car. Chicks dig the car. And then uh, Batman said, this is why Superman works alone. Like, it's supposed to be this, like, caddy back and forth. And that it's you're supposed to assume Robin is this, like, virile young dude that just, like, wants to fuck, all, fuck women specifically all the time. And, like, it's somehow, even though this is the Joel Schumacher version, which also, like I said last week, just because the movie is made by a gay man does not mean that everything in the movie is all of a sudden, you know, gay subtext. A lot of stuff is. Don't worry. Um, But, like, there's all this stuff that's, like, about them competing for women. And I just don't get the the gay subtext argument that I've read a few places that, like... And one thing I'll just chime in on is, and obviously just because the director says it, is that Joel Schumacher, I remember on the commentary track, kind of says, like... I didn't I did not try to make like a coded gay movie. It's just that I he I think he said like as a gay man, I have certain things that I like seeing and maybe that is coming across on screen, but like he wasn't trying to make a secretly subversive movie. I'm kind of on your side Peter where like I would have liked to see that version. I just 
I think besides just the fact that uh, Batman and Robin have the only like real relationship that even reads as like two human beings interacting in the movie, that compared to everything else, it seems like I don't know that their relationship might be more than just old man who lives with his I live in Butler and his young ward. Yeah, yeah. His young ward who happens to be aged up to be a twenty-two-year-old twink in this movie. I mean, they are the same age. Yeah. They, George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell, they, and they have the same haircut in this movie, and they wear the same sweaters. So, like, that part, I don't know. That, that doesn't read as, like, coded gay to me. But, I mean, I don't know. Morgan, what's your take on it? I will say the whole, like, them competing for women thing. Um, this is speaking as, as, a, as a queer boy myself. Um, there is, especially amongst... Uh, queer women in the community that gay cis men have like as much as the trope of like the magical gay best friend is a thing they actually have no idea how straight men and women interact at all (laughs) like it's just so foreign to them and it often comes across as like heightened machismo, machismo, like the um, <laughs> as this heightened sense of like, okay, um, straight guys go after women like this, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of guessing. Like it, basically, like when you're queer and you see like a writer write a, a straight writer write a gay character, you can tell right away. Like, okay, they don't actually know any gay people or they're not actually gay. And it kind of works in the same way, to me anyway, where it feels like, okay, Joel Schumacher clearly does not understand how someone attracted to women would react in this situation. Like, that sounds really weird to say, but I feel like that comes across, because that is a... It's a thing I hear a lot, and it's one I completely understand. Um, So I feel like that might inform... Uh, some of the like weird competitiveness like the way they all argue over poison ivy yeah. I, I don't know any dude who likes women who acts like that uh, except in bad movies yeah maybe this is just something i wasn't seeing yeah. and i'm yeah. really glad that you brought that to the table because like to me it just felt like it's stunted macho bullshit but i guess that's like just the first step onto something else maybe hey man you wanted to talk subtext i'm your subtext man here we go here we go (laughs) deep-seated misogyny in the gay community that's my that's my favorite curtis mayfield song (laughs) i'm your subtext man some of the the stuff that i've seen people point out is particularly the fake lips sequence so ivy is like seducing them um seducing batman and robin and trying to get them to turn against one another and then batgirl is also there she doesn't the fact that she's not attracted to ivy is not really like played into at all um there's no scene where ivy seduces batgirl and luckily there's no scene of ivy seducing batgirl and it's like doesn't work because she's straight or the inverse maybe would be also poorly handled well, well, she mentions it, like, once when she busts in, like, you can't use your feminine wiles on me or something like that. Batgirl should be an integral part of the whole movie, but it, she is just thrown in to sell more toys. Oh, yeah, no, and I... maybe... It hurts to say these words, 
but I just wish Batgirl would not be in this Batman movie. She's so much more alive than Batman or Robin. Like, she's so much more believable just because Alicia Silverstone is just kind of effortlessly charming at this point in her career. But I agree. Her as a character should not be in this fucking movie. No. The problem is, is that you could say that about everyone in this movie because, like, Poison Ivy shouldn't be in this movie. No. Like, fucking uh, Bane shouldn't be in this movie. Like, so <laughs> Wait, you can hold on. Okay, I, 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 hold on. Hold on. There's just a, I, I love that the climax relies on them beating up Poison Ivy and then they just drive over to Mr. Freeze's house to beat him <laughs> up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be these two characters, like, working together to have this big plot against one another. Like, at least, at least fucking Two-Face was hanging out at Riddler's lair yeah. in the last movie. Like, he was, like, the muscle man to, like, help fight him off. And also, Bane is not protecting Ivy for some reason at her lair. So Ivy has to have a fight scene. She, they just beat up Ivy and then they go over to someone else's house to solve the rest of the movie. <laughs> yes. It's so uh, fucking um, terrible. I, I will say, yeah. Poison Ivy is actually the only villain who should be in this movie because I feel like Uma Thurman is the only one who realized that she was in a bad movie that was going to suck. Yes. Yes. She is so fun in this. She is so fun. See, She's she definitely is like this movie's bad. I'm gonna have fun, but I don't know if it translates to fun for for the viewer. Oh, for now, me it does because it feels like she's doing an intentional parody of Julie Namer. She, I mean, she definitely is, but it just is so. I think she's just she's so poorly written. Uh, and again, I know it applies to everyone, but it like her characterization is like this like weird jealous shrew i think is like kind of misogynistic garbage and like it it feels like someone who hates women has written this and i don't know what i don't know if kiva goldsmith uh, goldman uh hates (laughs) hates women but he definitely hated this character and so even though uma thurman is is wonderful and definitely knows what kind of movie she's in like it's not fun to watch her on screen because it's like oh I know who Poison Ivy is, and you've, like, reduced her to... Like, she doesn't even have plant powers. All she has is fucking, uh, I can get men to try to kiss me, and then I kill... No, like, no, she has plant powers. She, she's Her her whole plot relies on uh, uh, little Audrey twos. Yeah. Yeah, but she just talks to one. Like, there's not a part where she's, like, controlling the plants. She ties up Batman with plants. Oh my gosh, maybe I went into a coma for 10 minutes. You probably did. And then she also gets eaten by her own plant. Yeah, Yeah, no. Which is a theme in this movie that villains are constantly fucking up their own plans by their, you know, their shit getting turned back on them. So, like, Mr. Freeze, I think, only kills his own henchmen in this movie. (laughs) Batman manages to melt most of the people that Mr. Freeze freezes. Well, it's because there's no cops. I like to think of this movie. If if the series has an arc throughout it, I like to think of that arc as the progressive, continual humiliation of Commissioner Gordon. Because <laughs> he, he's he been – he's the only – besides, um, besides uh, Alfred, Pat Hingle, he's the only consistent character in all four movies. And in the first one, he's like, doesn't do much, but he's the commissioner of police. Second one as well, he's trying to solve crimes. In this one, there's that scene where he's just cheering for things, and he's like, just calls Batman at the beginning and says there's a new villain 
go get him please like there's no police presence at any point in this movie uh and he's constantly at fucking parties in full uniform. Like he, it is just a humiliation. Like the the name of this series could be Burton Batman movies. It could also be the the humiliation of Commissioner Gordon. I love in Batman the first Batman when like Commissioner Gordon is talking to him and he's just like yeah come on like Michael Keaton is clearly like giving this like sort of like yeah come on like let's go let's go oh, like Batman just get returns. your yeah <laughs> he's just like get this information out so I can uh-huh. go punch somebody uh-huh. yeah I'm not listening I'm not listening I'm gonna go punch somebody I'm going those movies are so good uh these are not <laughs> these oh. rules so hard <laughs> I know uh we really should have just done them in reverse order um so I, I I guess the other thing that I have a big – one of the problems with this movie, and it was kind of the problem with Batman Forever 2, is like a complete lack in confidence that like people – that people or kids or whoever thinks Batman's cool. One of the big problems with this movie, among other big problems with this movie, is that they try to make Batman like the dad of everyone. Like it's almost like – Somewhere, some scriptwriter conceded that Batman's not cool, so let's pump it full of of other cool people, and we'll just make Batman the old fuddy-duddy dad who doesn't have fun and doesn't enjoy things and is just trying to keep these kids from getting hurt. And that's, like, the worst possible characterization of Batman that I could ever imagine because it is such the antithesis to everything that anyone likes about Batman. <laughs> Well, because Robin is the Robin is the rebellious teen son. He's the Bart Simpson. Well, sorry, excuse me. He's not the Bart Simpson. He's the Poochie. He's well. They're all Poochies. <laughs> they're all Poochies. No, because Robin is this like he's like supposed to be this like sassy, cool '90s like rebel, and then like and then like Batman is his like asshole dad that's trying to ring him in, and yeah. because and because usually Alfred is supposed to be the like. Hey, you should like eat a sandwich and like maybe sleep tonight. You never sleep. And Batman's like, yeah, whatever, old man. Like, that's part of the reason kids like Batman, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to be clear to any studio exec out there, like, Batman's cool. He's always been cool. You don't need to try to add coolness to to Batman and they did do that a little bit in Batman Forever but at least in that one like Batman Forever he like he's going through some sort of emotional distress he's got this girl that just wants to fuck him and he's dealing with that because she wants to fuck him twice as two different people and like he seems like a like a virile cool guy and in this one he's just in a committed relationship and he's like Alfred have a good night's sleep bud and uh, I love you so much and then he's like you kids Let's go fight the bad guys. Like it is <laughs> like but but then then they up the quote unquote late nineties coolness to Robin and Batgirl where they're like, you know, they're rude to dudes. And uh Rude to dudes. It's rude to dudes. And dudettes. And it's really bad. It's really bad that they really went like full bore on like no, Robin and Batgirl are the cool ones. The kids will connect in. Oh, Batman! That guy goes to bed at 9 p.m. <laughs> this, <He's>, is, <laughs> this is your daddy's Batman. It's Dark Knight because he fights at night, but it's actually at 4 in the morning when he wakes up normally. Because he's so old. <laughs> Man, can you just imagine being the studio executive who's like, I don't think these kids are really going to find this George Clooney that cool. You know who's really cool? <laughs> Chris O'Donnell. 
<laughs> you guys see Circle of Friends? Oh my god, Circle of Friends, biggest hit with the kids. Uh, Chris O'Donnell is an enemy of the Chris show, o. and I will not talk about him anymore on this podcast. Speaking of Robin, next week Circle of Friends. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the there's a there's a scene with before we leave on on Chris O'Donnell. I would like to say there's a scene where he says, "Don't wait up, Al," which is uh, they actually made my butthole so clenched that I haven't had a bowel movement since Tuesday when I watched this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it is. It is so uncomfortable. Whenever he calls Alfred Al, it makes me so uncomfortable. But there is an early sign that Alfred has McGregor syndrome, and his mind's kind of going because Alfred says, "I'll cancel the pizzas." Okay, so <laughs> let's go through the logic there. It implies he's already ordered pizzas that need to be canceled, right? Does he have a standing order every night for pizzas? And he needs to call them in and be like, sorry, guys, not tonight. The The boys are not in town. Or does that imply that he called for pizzas and he's try- going to try and call the pizza place and say, hey, actually, those pizzas that I ordered and paid for, I would like to not have them anymore because that's <laughs> not how ordering pizzas works. Also, this guy's fucking Batman. Like, just take the pizzas when they arrive and throw them in the trash. Who cares? The dude's a billionaire. Also, like, pizza's good cold. Yeah. It's like someone's going to eat. There's a whole family living there. I could see Batman and Robin just coming home after a nice night of bat ice skating and bat surfing and bat... What else do they do? They play bat hockey in that opening fight scene. And just... Bat hockey? Yeah, uh, yeah, bat hockey. (laughs) Bat hockey sounds like something (laughs) Batman would say in this movie when he's mad. (laughs) He's like, oh, bat hockey. Dude, did you just blow a bat <laughs> hockey? Oh, gross. I got some cream for your bat hockey there. Um, but, you know, just coming on home. It's also because hockey is the worst sport, so. Whoa. It's a good sport. It's a it's fine a good sport. sport. But, you know, just, just throw some 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 of those nice Gotham Gotham Hut pizzas in the, in the Gotham oven, because everything's made in Gotham in this movie. <laughs> Everything. Uh, Why are you calling it the Gotham oven instead of the bat oven? <laughs> he doesn't. He names stuff after himself. He doesn't name stuff the Wait, Gotham no, oven. No, no, no. I'm with Morgan. Batman. Why would Batman make his own oven? Yeah, no. Why would he make his own shark repellent? Well, I. I'm just <laughs> because he he's, fights sharks. He's, he's just buying it and then putting his name on it. Classic <laughs> capitalist. If if you zoom in when Mister Freeze is being rolled in in his stupid refrigerator thing, it says Gotham Refrigeration Company. I'm assuming they also make Gotham ovens. Gotham yeah, I, microwaves. On this one, Aaron. Gotham automobiles. They also own idiot. the Gotham so you, news you station. Think they're like the, I hate you, Aaron. <laughs> you think they're like the Maytag of Gotham? Yes, Gotham is the Maytag of Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Commissioner Gordon is the Maytag man for Gotham also? It's a great price. We gave him the signal to come in for the sale. I don't do anything during the day. Why not do commercials? A uh, typical com- police commissioner. Do you guys remember that scene where Batman, uh, somebody asks Batman publicly when him and Al McPherson are getting married and he goes like, uh, uh marriage, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Like a fucking nerd. Yeah, just get married, loser. <laughs> <laughs> but if we get divorced, she's gonna take half the Batmobile. 
I'm just <laughs> which is fine because it splits in two to fit through yeah. alleyways. Yeah, it's because it's rude to call somebody your beard in front of microphones. Yeah, I'm just yeah. So this movie's bad. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. No, it does the impossible job of making George Clooney look like a fuddy-duddy dork. Which like <laughs> that's true. Why would they bring George Clooney? Isn't even a good Bruce Wayne. How did they manage to do that? He is Bruce Wayne in real life. He's a rich dude that goes yeah. to public events and is all smug and stuff, but everybody loves him. You know what's funny? The only reason he was cast in this movie. Have you heard the story of why he was cast? Because it's hilarious. Nope. So literally, it was um, Val Kilmer didn't want to return. He was like, eh, I didn't like Joel Schumacher. I'm done. So Joel Schumacher was like panicking, looking for a new Batman. And he had a Batman mask from McDonald's. And he, for some reason, Robert Rodriguez had si- sent him a signed poster of Dusk Till Dawn. And he literally took his Happy Meal Batman mask and put it over George Clooney's face and was like, He's got a good jaw. I like him. Call, call George Clooney. And that's it. They didn't audition him. That's... Yeah. You know who else has a good jaw? Jaws. But he would have made a bad Batman. <laughs> but that's that's totally how it fucking happened. Like, they didn't audition him. Yeah. They literally just called him on the set of ER and were like, you want to be Batman? I, like, I'm really glad that George Clooney survived this. Yeah. This could have been a career ender, right? I mean... I mean, it almost was because then he was in like he was in like the peacemaker. He was in like the peacemaker. He was in all these like weird vehicles that you try to get like a TV star into. And it wasn't until like he did Three Kings and start producing his own stuff that I feel like he kind of got some of that back. But I remember disliking George Clooney based on this, and like he he, he had some late '90s stuff post ER where it felt like he was just going to be a shitty TV actor who didn't make it. And they made Three Kings and Ocean's Eleven, and he became yeah. the. The beautiful, real life Bruce Wayne we know today. Yeah, he's 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 awful as Bruce Wayne, which is a disappointment. Like, cause that's kind of the thing people say about Batman, right? Is that like, X actor was a really good Bruce Wayne, but a terrible Batman, or this person, you know, you you yeah, you, like you really believe them in the suit, but when they're you know schmoozing at parties, you're like, I don't know. That's like what people say about Michael Keaton, uh, in particular. Yeah, that's also what people say. Christian like they Bale. said, um. They said Christian Bale, but that's mostly a writing thing. You know Christian Bale could do whatever the fuck they threw at him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird it's a weird thing that like he couldn't do either of them. He looks incredibly uncomfortable in the suit, which I don't... The, the suit has got to be uncomfortable, right? Like you're just sweating all your water weight out in two hours of, of working in the thing. Like I think of Peter Weller talking about working in that RoboCop suit and how he had to like relearn how to walk when he was in it. It's got to be not that bad, but it's got to be similar where you're like, you're just like very uncomfortable. And then they ask you to do a specific movement and then you try your best and it looks awkward. And they're like, we don't give a shit. We're good. Rap. Yeah. But he's, he's a terrible Batman. He's, he's probably the worst Batman. I would say. What do you guys think is the worst Batman? Del Kilmer, I thought, was going to be the worst, but apparently I think I'm just it's George Clooney. I really don't like Val Kilmer as Batman. I really hate Val Kilmer as Batman. I buy Val Kilmer as Batman. Like, he gets the physicality of it as much as the suit allows, but as Bruce Wayne, he is miserable. I don't know. I think as bad as George Clooney is in this movie, there's still, like, the back of my head and knowing that he is he's literally bruce wayne today that's like 
I think I'm just shoving modern day George Clooney into this movie subconsciously. <laughs> You're just subbing out the actual George I'm Clooney out in the actual movie George, for the one you I, like. I'm subbing out actual George Clooney in the movie for Ocean's Eleven George Clooney. <laughs> Isn't it sad that he's a better Bruce Wayne as a Danny Ocean than he is an actual Bruce Wayne? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, that's, that's pretty sad. That's, that's pretty sad. I just don't get the the love behind this movie because I was when I heard that it was going to be this big gay flamboyant romp, I was like, awesome. I want a camp Batman, but yeah. not, you know, the, the Adam West version. I want like a 90s gay infused version of it. That sounds amazing. And then I saw it and I was like, there's stuff there, but like it's not. It's not a subversive movie to me at all. It's just like there's some accidental stuff cooked in that's fun to chew on. But like as a movie, you have one villain. It's Ivy. It's very interesting in terms of her performance, but everything they give her to do is bullshit. And then there's Schwarzenegger, who's terrible and has a terrible script and there's no humanity to him, but he gets to have all the fun. So there's just no scene that feels whole. Mm hmm. And it's just it. I I I I know a lot of people actually are like getting behind this as either a good bad movie or like a fun flamboyant version of the movie or like especially people. I think it was mostly the, the Nolan movies darkness and the current Snyder version of the character that really made people like kind of look at this one differently. They're like, well, remember when Batman was at least fun? I don't think I had much more fun with this than I did in Batman vs. Superman. No. <laughs> Not no. that much more. Like, I don't know. At least it was shorter. I think the 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 best compliment you can give this movie or like the way this movie is useful to watch is like it it does kind of raise cynicism and contempt for the audience to an art form. At least from like an academic sense, that's interesting to watch a movie that literally doesn't care about everything, anything a movie is supposed to care about. Because even though movies are like, especially blockbuster entertainment, they're products, they, they usually have some like motivation to get you to care so they can make more so that you go see it so that you'll tell friends so that you'll buy toys and as like a weird experiment of like, what if we just took all that stuff out and only relied on the the characters names and and the the previous incarnations and everything else and and see what happens? Like that part of it, I think at least from a critical perspective, is interesting to me. That's obviously not probably how they would have advertised it or thought they were making. No. Is like. Let's make an exercise in uh, reckless cynicism and contempt for our audience. But ultimately, <laughs> that's the only way like it, it like it works as something to talk about. Because every other reading of this movie, and you're Peter, I'm the same same boat. Like I, I still enjoy the '60s campy Batman. I like campy, loud, flashy, dumb movies. Like there's a lot of enjoyment that you can get from those types of movies. Um, you know, I, I got. I just didn't get any of that from that. And I'm I'm happy that there's a lot of people out there that have kind of taken this movie and found found things about it that they enjoy and and you know, I just I I really was hoping to be there with with everyone on that and I and I just wasn't. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I I will say, you know, I like the set design. Like as goofy and as campy as it is, I really like it. Um I genuinely think like if they decide to like scrap uh 
you know, whatever they're doing with the DC EU or whatever, um, if they ever decide to make a Batman Beyond movie, I genuinely hope that they base, like, their weird, whatever the Blade Runner world is going to be, like, they at least kind of base it on this, because it feels like this is, like, a weird halfway point between now and what a Blade Runner Gotham would look like. Yeah, it's it's so it's such a macro city. So I actually one of the few things that I think that um, Schumacher took and ran with that is really successful is um, is that the 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 basically taking statuary and blowing it up to epic Greek proportions where uh, these statues are, are the size of mountains. Um, these impossible statues and yet they're, they're just building it for like an observatory which held in the palms of a giant that's 90 stories above all the other buildings like that stuff and all the weird sweeping sort of drunken Dutch angles they have to like shoot so many these Dutch buildings yeah. to shoot those buildings is very cool to me and, there, and, and some of that sort of epic mega city stuff in Batman Forever I didn't get to talk about it all but some of that epic mega city stuff is really cool and then they get down to the to the ground level and i'm just bored at what everybody is saying and doing yeah i mean that's yeah how i got through half this movie is just like wow that's cool set design wow i, I like how they used actual lights for this instead of cgiing in lights like they do in the marvel movies like that's kind of cool i like this and it's just like eh, i don't care what yeah, you're saying i think I think we can agree if Joel Schumacher ever makes a movie about statues, we are in. Oh, yeah. Yes. I am. If he ever makes so, a movie that are about those big statues in Lord of the Rings that they pass through when they're on that boat, I'm in. Yeah, if he just makes a movie about, like, a group of gay city planners who are like, let's build a... Let's build an overpass around these two Lord of the Rings statues there, eh? And it's just two hours of them doing that? <laughs> I'm in. I mean, it's going to be better than most of his filmography, no matter what. Yeah, I agree. And Joel Schumacher, like we said last week, throw in real quick, Joel Schumacher is supposed to be an incredibly nice person. But he's just not a very um, good director with no. a sense of vision and a sense to uh, really take hold of his vision against producer qualms. Um this movie might have been just a movie that broke him, right? You know, that maybe that's the best that's my best theory for it. Is it just a movie that that broke him that like the producers were asking way too much for what the yeah. budget they gave him for and then he was just like fine. And it was really quick turnaround. It was 2 years instead of the 3 years and it's like he just kind of gave up. But yeah, that's a sad note to end. What started as a very uh excited energetic month and then it petered out into kind of I'm glad we're moving on to something else which uh hey, guess what? Mirrors the series we just covered. Uh yeah. Morgan, do you thank you so much for joining us um and for not getting destroyed by a tornado, uh, what do you have to promote? Um, I am currently working on a podcast with uh, the writer uh, that I promoted in my very first episode. You can check that episode out. It's the Fly Slither episode. <laughs> 
Um, but she and I, we are currently in the middle of working on a new podcast together that we are tentatively called Calling How to Build a Better Blockbuster, where we take apart bad movies like Batman and Robin and see what we would do to maybe fix them, make them more enjoyable. Uh, you know, just a pure academic study. So look forward to that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I would love to listen to that. Just make sure that you pay us, you know, the rights for doing a podcast because uh, Peter and I thought of that first. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so fi- five statues, please. In ascending height. <laughs> 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 I want one that's the size of me. One that's the size of Peter. Peter, I think you're a little taller than me. Uh, yeah, maybe like an inch or two. And then the next one, I want 800 feet. <laughs> it's just going to be like that Ant-Man and the Wasp trailer where it's like, I got to be 25 feet while I'm 65 feet. That's the movie That's the movie that, uh, that, that Joel Schumacher should make is just a movie about um, two gay architects trying to make the tallest statue. I mean, that sounds... I'd watch that. I'm down for that. Yeah, and he's like, and he's like why does the forehead keep getting taller? Uh, now it's a conehead statue. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, so thank you so much. I, let us know uh, whether there's a link for that, and we'll happily put it in our show notes, because I'm sure we will be listening ourselves. Uh, hey, Peter, next month is a new month, and it's a, it's a singing month. It is in Musical May Part 2. We're doing good movies this time. Um, and we're doing <laughs> next week. We're doing The Lure with Joey Lee. Then we're doing Tokyo Tribe with Carrie Nelson. Um, yes. Little Shop of Horrors with uh, Rachel Graff. And then rounding out the month with uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch with David Clark. I'm so excited because I, I love all those movies. So it's, it's going to be a love fest all month. I haven't seen Tokyo Tribe. I'm very excited by it. The other three I absolutely love. Um, and as of this recording, I haven't revisited or watched any of them yet. Uh, it's going to start tomorrow for me. Uh, I'm so excited to watch The Lure again. It is my by far my favorite uh, movie to describe to anyone. And I'm sure I'll say that eight times on the podcast we're recording in a couple of days. But <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, yeah, it's my favorite Polish mermaid horror movie musical Definitely. I mean, it's top five for me. <laughs> uh, anyways. A rich subgenre. I wish. Like, that would be a subgenre. The more, the better, based on the yes. especially. So, anyway, so that's going to be next month. So, you can tune in for that or not, I guess. I mean, those are really the only two options. Have we figured out how to do exits in two years? How have we not done this? Um, well, Just say goodnight, why. Aaron. Just say goodnight. What if it's morning? When I, when I used to host a radio show, I would just play a free bird and just walk out of the studio and hope someone else would take up the console before the song ended. folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us 
Uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.